So tonight was the first Democratic debate of the year, 2019. It is 626, June 26th, that is. And I'm going to do a quick, I guess, podcast about my takeaways from the debate. I'm going to try to do these each debate. I don't know ultimately how many debates there are going to be, but let's just set a goal right now and say that I'm going to try to do these for each debate. Um, this is uh, Josh from the Middle Blitz channel on YouTube. Don't know how long I'm going to be on YouTube considering how they're censoring, but um, yeah, let's just let's just get right into it. Basically, uh, basically what I did was I um, just kind of took some notes as the debate was rolling. I, I, I did two things. I took note of how many times each person got to speak, and then I just kind of jotted down notes of uh, impressions that I had during the debate, takeaways, etc., and I'm just going to really just roll through these notes and maybe just read them off verbatim, maybe expose on some of them if I feel the need in the moment. So just quickly, to, to, to point to how many times people actually got to speak, Elizabeth Warren was asked 12 questions. She led the pack um, with 12 things asked. Um, Cory Booker and, and Beto, Beto O'Rourke had 11. And then Castro, Julian Castro got 10 questions asked. Amy Klobuchar got 10 questions asked. Um, John Delaney and Tim Ryan got eight questions asked each or eight chances to respond. And then bringing up the rear was Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, and Bill de Blasio, Um, which is unfortunate because Tulsi Gabbard is the one candidate that kind of uh, stands out on policy she is quite different than all the other dems not just the dems in this debate but in the one happening tomorrow too especially on foreign policy and she was she was kind of ignored here in my opinion uh which was probably done on purpose um but anyways this debate was run by nbc msnbc and my first impression right out the gate when it came on television is tulsi is visually standing out in bright red in comparison to everybody else on the stage who are wearing like a dark blue um, gray or black suit uh, from just viewing the stage Tulsi pops right out at you the visual impression of that just as soon as the debate started on television I think that's gonna be the takeaway um, for a lot of people initially we're all visual creatures and um, that was quite apparent Um, the first thing I wrote down is is Beto I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name i don't know if it's i don't know if it's beto or beto so i don't even know which one to, to go with here and this I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just go with beto beto sounds like pedo so i'm just gonna go with beto beto o'rourke um ignores question twice and goes into spanish right out the gate so i found this kind of odd i i, I took it as he was kind of pandering to the hispanic community and again his name is robert actually his real name is robert but he goes by beto which again is kind of pandering to Hispanics, but whatever. Um, Cory Booker talked about the economy not working for my community. I like that. Um, I like, uh, from what I know about Cory Booker, he um, does come from uh, advocacy background, um, rising up through the community as a kind of a citizen advocate who went into politics, similar to Barack Obama in that way. And I respect that. And when he talks about my community, he's talking about um, the African-American community, obviously. But through another prism, he's talking about maybe low-income communities, people that don't have resources like 
some other people have and these are all these are all valid things that need to be discussed um, and are worthwhile to talk about so I think him referencing my community I don't take that as divisive I don't take that as a negative thing I think that is needed now I do think Booker is kind of a grandstander sometimes and his rhetoric is over the top um, and silly sometimes but I also know that he's worked a lot with like Rand Paul who's a libertarian on criminal justice reform and these are all needed things and I value uh, these things so there I go not even um, <laughs> I'm already going off going away from my um, paper notes and just ranting about this Cory Booker um, one-liner Tulsi's first crack at a question was a repeat question that they gave to Julian Castro which was about equal pay and for women and <laughs> she went right into right full blast into foreign policy which I loved she kind of just ignored the tribal football question that was meant to say you know women are paid less than men what do you think and rah rah you know this divisive tribal stuff she just ignored all that and went right in full barrel into foreign policy which again is great um tim ryan was asked he made a comment about wealth inequality i thought his response on that was strong um eight out of ten on stage said they keep their private health insurance which was interesting elizabeth warren gleefully raised her hand for government-run insurance instead of private insurance um Warren did say the number one reason people go broke is medical bills, and I definitely agree with that. Um, that and, and, and college uh, student loan debt probably would go one and two. So I thought that was definitely important to um, underline. Uh, John Delaney made the point about uh, health care. We don't need to be either for private health care or for government health care for all. We don't have to be one or the other. We can have both. Um, Booker mentioned that the overhead cost of private was 15% compared to Medicare was 2% um, but still it doesn't have to be that we just need to get rid of private health care um, this is the thing we can ha we should have Medicare um, government-run health care potentially in a broader scope than even what we have now and we can also have a private option as well or many even better many private options which we do have and we need many more private options and we need the option to be able to cross state borders and because competition is good competition is good and again private health care in certain um ways is extremely expensive and if you don't have competitors going against each other to potentially lower prices then you're going to be stuck with just one option and they may be able to price gouge you so that's great be for government-run health care to whatever extent but also you can you can be for private um, healthcare as well at the same time and say we have 30 or 40 different private options they're gonna have to compete for your business and that's a good thing so it shouldn't be one or the other it's not a black white um, thing there's a lot of gray area there and I know it's easy rhetorically to just say oh private healthcare bad you know uh, government-run healthcare good and it makes a nice little soundbite or whatever um, a gift wrap package for the socialists or whatever but they both can work in tandem um, that's okay Beto O'Rourke made the point that uh, Purdue Pharma um, was profiteering off opioids, um, which is a good point. I think what Purdue Pharma is doing is egregious. Um, they're very predatory in how they go about their business, and I would say even criminal. I didn't think he necessarily had a strong debate, but I did like his answer there. Um, Castro said about immigration, uh, we should not be criminalizing desperation. And I thought that was really strong, um, the way that he got that across. Now, immigration is a huge topic. There's a lot of context and a lot of just layers to it, which I'm not going to get into. And it does, it, quite frankly, it doesn't even really matter where I stand on that. 
um, because again, this is a very textured topic. Um, but all that aside, the soundbite of we shouldn't be criminalizing desperation really resonates with me and it probably resonates with almost everybody in America. So I thought that was one of the best um, statements of the night. But then, you know, a lot of the border immigration rhetoric was just that. It was just rhetoric. It was just espousing emotional rhetoric. And I found a lot of it just disingenuous because um, Trump is doing what he's doing, but Barack Obama did the same thing. And all these people did not really even care. You know what I mean? <laughs> they only started caring when Trump uh, became president, even though a lot of these policies, the, you know, the border policies, the, the parent and children separation policies, the quote unquote cages and et cetera, all this stuff was started and instituted under President Obama. But yet it only becomes a issue once Trump is doing it. So it just comes off as disingenuous. You know, you want something that's based in principles. And if it's not based in principles, when then when they're trying to get this message across, a lot of people are just going to dismiss it, which is unfortunate because, like, if it is important to you, you should be consistent about it and you should have a consistent track record of talking about it instead of, you know, only 40 or 60 percent of the time, depending on uh, what color jacket the president is wearing or what party he belongs to. Bill de Blasio made a comment on the immigration thing he was he was referencing the pain that americans are feeling financially and i thought this was a good point he says yo immigrants did not do it to you big corporations and the one percent did it to you and i thought that was strong uh maybe not even the one percent maybe the point zero one percent but i'm nitpicking um that's a good point to make castro brought up section 1325 and criminalizing parents which i don't know a lot about but based on what he said i hope it gets uh more drilled down debate um He's basically saying that this section um, allows the criminalizing of parents when they cross the border, uh, which then allows the state to incarcerate them, which thus separates them from their children. Um, you know, when you're looking into this bureaucratic policy language type stuff, if that's the main issue, then maybe we look into changing that section. Um, only makes sense. Amy Klobuchar, who I am not a fan of, she I, I noted that she made a comment about bringing up the AMUF, which is the Authorization of Use of Military Force, and how that's important. So I was like, go Amy Klobuchar. I never thought I'd say that. But this is this is a topic that very rarely gets brought up, and it's one of the most important topics over the last 20 years in America since 9-11. This is one of the most important topics. And we've just been allowing um, president after president to just go to war without congressional approval. And she brought it up. Um, she yelled it into one of the questions or one of the statements that somebody was making. And even though they didn't follow up on it, the fact that it just got some mic time was nice. Tulsi got a chance to answer something, and I just wrote "chicken hawk cabinet" in quotations, all caps, uh, because that's what she referred to Trump's uh, the Trump administration's cabinet. She called them chicken hawks, which was epic. Um, and then she uh, said unequivocally, "We do not need a war with Iran. No war with Iran," which caused the moderator to um, follow up and ask Tulsi, "Well, what is your red line with Iran?" Because they want a soundbite to slime her in the future with that. They want her to say something, and then they're going to come back and um, ball bust her over what she said. Well, you said this back then, and they've done this now. So they crossed your red line. So what are you going to do about it? They're just looking for any way to justifying aggressive actions at the foreign policy level. And Tulsi didn't uh, go with it because she's actually an intelligent human being. Um, then comes the pundit rotation. Um, out go the three pundits that were starting the debate income conspiracy theorist anti-russian racist rachel maddow and then moronic chuck todd they then come in for round two of the debate uh and then here comes the gun topic which chuck todd has to repeat three times because of mic issues but they go hard into guns 
Elizabeth Warren makes the, makes the claim that gun violence is a national health emergency. Elizabeth Warren, gun violence is not a national health emergency. You are a fear monger. Um, she then calls it a virus. Gun violence, a virus. Um, well, there's a lot that goes into gun violence. Of course, Elizabeth Warren wants to blame the actual tool when the virus is probably what is mentally in the minds of the people holding the tool, but that's a conversation that she clearly doesn't want to have. She just wants to ban the tool. Chuck Todd makes the insane statement, federal government, or question, rather. He says, the federal government, should they go out and get the guns? Like, he literally says that to one of the people on the stage. I wrote, WTF, what the fuck, you know, exclamation point beside this. And then Rachel Maddow makes the statement that school shooters are an everyday occurrence. Again, another WTF by that. That's just nonsense. Castro says that on January 20th, 2021, there's going to be a Democratic president, a Democrat House, and a Democrat Senate. Let's hope not. Not a Republican, but it's nice to have representation from both. I would like that representation from three, four, five different parties, but we at least need representation from both to counterbalance each other. Because if you just have one party in charge of all um, houses of government, no matter what administration we have outside of one or two people, there's going to be just warmongers in government, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. There's always just warmongers in, in the government. They always find their way into these administrations. Um, so we need to have some kind of a counterbalance at the House and Senate level. Chuck Todd then continues with his gun bullshit. He says in a mocking tone this time to, to Beto, what do you say about the people that say the Democrats will take my guns away? Well, just five minutes ago, Chuck Todd posed a question to somebody else on the stage. Should the federal government, should they go out and get people's guns? Uh, that's why people think that, Mr. Chuck Todd, because they actually pay attention to what uh, this incremental assault on the Second Amendment actually means. Um, Todd follows that up with a question about gun confiscation. And Klobuchar calls gun confiscation, no, it's a government buyback. And then she goes out of her way to say multiple times that guns shouldn't be taken away because they're for hunting. And folks, yes, guns are used for hunting, but that is not the main reason for the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is there to protect the general populace against a tyrannical government. That's the reason for the Second Amendment. I can't stand when guns come up and people always say, yes, we should, you know, I am for gun control, but I also want to respect the rights of the hunters and people who pass guns down through their generations and all. Yeah, okay. But just also note that that's not the reason for the Second Amendment. De Blasio, uh, I noted, calls the Dem, the Democratic Party, the party of elites, then asked them to be the party of the people, which I took note of and thought that was really good. Chuck Todd asks, and this is funny because I had to, I had to scratch it out twice but he went ahead and asked four straight questions about mitch mcconnell and the supreme court seats and then i thought he was done so i wrote four and then he came back with a fifth and then a sixth question he asked the same question six times which is just absurd considering the amount of issues that are out there and the amount of time and the amount of people on the stage he wanted to talk about mitch mcconnell blocking a potential democratic supreme court nominee even though there's no democrat elected president yet tim ryan uh, says the party needs to change from being coastal to representing middle America working class people. It's a big perception problem, and he is correct. Then Chuck Todd uh, comes back and asks Tulsi Gabbard after like 45 minutes of ignoring Tulsi Gabbard. She finally gets a question, and it is about why she should be trusted on LGBT rights, which is, I want to note, the first negative question coming from the moderators. And she handles it fine, and not fine, she handles it really good. And um, if you want to look into anything about this topic, there's plenty out there on it. She's addressed it many times. Then we get into an audience question, which kind of 
was like a 10 minute free for all. Um, they asked, does the US have a responsibility to intervene for genocide? Beto says, yes, they do. And then he says, uh, he follows that up with Vladimir Putin invaded us in 2016, which is just embarrassing. Bill de Blasio, for the second time, tries to interject about the War Powers Act, which is amazing, which, again, means that we've been going to war without authorization from Congress. They then go to Tim Ryan on Al-Qaeda, and he gives some kind of a answer on that. And I'm like, are they really not going to go to Tulsi Gabbard on this? Her entire platform is basically based around our ludicrous foreign policy. And Maddow finally goes to Tulsi Gabbard. She basically says, bring the damn troops home. And Ryan comes back at her fear-mongering about the Taliban and that the U.S. must stay engaged. And Tulsi corrects him and says, uh, the Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11. Al-Qaeda did. Now 9-11's a whole another topic that I'm definitely not going to get into. But uh, even from the perspective of U.S. media narrative, this Tim Ryan character doesn't even know that the Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11. Tulsi actually has to correct him on that. And she, as the, as the moderators are trying to cut her off, Tulsi ends her comment with saying that the Saudis are protecting Al-Qaeda, which got no play. Um, they ignored it and went right to the next question, changed the topic, of course, because that's too real. Bill de Blasio then calls Russia our greatest threat, which I wrote WTF beside that. And then um, Beto, Beto rambles like a Muppet about Russia and impeachment. There was really no questions from the moderators on Russia or election meddling or the Mueller report or any of that nonsense. Um, thank God. Kind of surprising considering that was the Democrats' entire platform for the last two and a half years. Overall, uh take was that it was a pretty boring debate minimal candidate on candidate dialogue back and forth it was very much moderator driven which i didn't really like um some impressions on the candidates that i just noted um i thought cory booker was pretty solid clearly the media is behind elizabeth warren and amy klobuchar but hands down tulsi wins this debate i think that if you're being intellectually honest i don't think there's any way that you can't admit that all the polls that i found online tulsi was winning every single one by a substantial margin she's now winning the drudge report poll which is probably one of the bigger ones it now has close to eighty thousand votes and she has 42 percent of the vote um the next closest person is elizabeth warren with 11.8 percent of the vote so that's an overwhelming um support metric for tulsi gabbard right there notably i cannot find a publicly accessible debate poll on msnbc or nbc or cnn or abc or cbs um which is weird because they typically always run polls when there's debates um afterwards and none of them are running polls i think i know the reason for that and it's tulsi i mean it, she'd be winning them all and they don't want to kind of reinforce the sentiment that america now knows who she is let's look at this folks this was a debate that was run on national television not just streamed over the internet or not just run behind a paywall on msnbc but it was run on nbc so america got to see her probably for the first time in a way that they've never been exposed to her before another thing that i came across was the google trends that people are now posting on twitter these images it's a state-by-state -state breakdown of google trends prior to the debate which showed that elizabeth warren was basically winning like um, I don't know, 40 of the 50 states. And during and after the debates, there's another side-by-side -side Google Trends image. This isn't Photoshopped or posted by some random user. This was actually tweeted out by Google. The image then during and after the debate shows that Google Trends is showing that Tulsi Gabbard is the most searched candidate in about 85% of the country. All those states that were going for Warren, where Warren was the top search, are now Tulsi's the top search. And then Cory Booker is a way down second and they're the only two being searched during the debate and honestly i thought tulsi had the best debate and if i had to pick somebody 
that had the second best debate, it would have been Booker. So the fact that America is actually searching these two, you know, my thoughts play out in alignment with theirs.